What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, it's opening day in the major leagues and my White Sox are on the road in Houston and back on the South Side Monday. But if I had to guess, most fans in attendance ain't calling the ballpark guarantee Ray Field, but rather Comiskey Park. You see, the Sox played at the original, now demolished Comiskey from 1910 to 1990. The new documentary, Last Comiskey, pays homage to the legendary ballpark, and we talk to one of its directors, Matt Flesh. It's Thursday, March 30th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Matt, welcome to CityCast Chicago. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Matt, how long has your family been White Sox fans? You know, I grew up listening to my dad tell stories about the 1950s White Sox and Nellie Fox and Louis Aparicio. And even my mom, my mom grew up in Inglewood and she used to take the bus to Comiskey Park. And she talked about, even though she's not a big baseball fan, she always talked mm-hmm. about Minnie Minoso and checking out the players and just uh, what a great time her and her friends had. So we've been, I've been a Sox fan my whole life and it goes back generations for sure for us. Do you remember when you got to experience your first White Sox game in person? Yeah. Um, I don't remember the, the, the date or who they played or anything like that, uh-huh. you know, but I remember I have these memories of being a little kid, like, you know, five, six years old and just, you know, walking up to the stadium and it kind of looked like it was a warehouse, you know, old Comiskey <laughs> Park didn't really look like a baseball stadium. It looked like a warehouse mm-hmm. with lights on it. It's this white building brick building and I remember just like walking through the concourse and it's dark and then you walk up you know these ramps or stairs that took you to the field and it just like you couldn't believe how green it was and I was hooked you know from the first I remember going to those games as a kid and just being hooked on the food and the energy and all that stuff. One of the great things that this documentary captures is, is the spirit of being inside. You all do such a good job of bringing in the sound, bringing in these amazing interviews with with everyone from from fans to people who sold beer to, to players and coaches. But when you think back to old Comiskey, can you remember when you found out that it was going to be demolished? And do you remember the demolition process? Yeah, I remember hearing that they were going to tear down the park. And I remember like that was like, I think like 88, 89, it became very controversial and I remember at the time, 12 years old, thinking, you know, the new park, that sounds really cool. And, uh, you know, yeah. I was kind of excited about the new park. But then I started to get a little older. And in that last year, 1990, I was 15. And I remember going to a game in 1990 and being like, 
wow, this place is special. Like there's no place like this. And then going to the games in 1991, it's like you go to the game, you're celebrating this new park and it almost felt wrong because like right across the street, you're seeing this like beloved old park just getting torn apart uh, by wrecking balls and ripped open. It just, it felt, uh, it was really weird. Yeah, I love and it's bittersweet, I know, but I love just the picture you're painting because, as I said earlier, I mean, at this time, 1991, you know, I was a baby, yeah. so I didn't know. But the Comiskey name was something I did know, but I didn't really know its history. I just knew people longed for that name and always wanted to refer to wherever the Sox played ball as Comiskey. Why did you want to make a documentary about Comiskey, especially since you ain't never made a documentary before? Yeah, that's true. My brother Mike and I were big Bulls fans and, you know, we were so excited for that Last Dance documentary, just ate that up. There was nothing else to do at that time, you know, so that was like must-see TV. And Mike and I were like, you know, what are some other great Chicago stories that haven't been told? And we always loved that old, that 1990 team just had so much energy. It had so much grit. They, you know, they were underdogs. They fought hard against this Goliath team in the Oakland days. And then they're playing that last year at the old Comiskey Park. So it's like all these new young players in this old stadium that's getting its sunset, you know, last day in the sun. So we were like, man, it'd be- Throwback jerseys. Throwback jer yeah, all that stuff. And so, yeah, Mike and I were like, God, it'd be great if somebody made a documentary on that. And so we were like, nope, nobody's probably gonna make that. You know, second place teams don't usually get documentaries. And that season is kind of lost in the history of White Sox in a way, but it's one that we thought deserved a lot more exploration. So we were like, hey, let's give this a go. Let's see if we can do it. We're in a city that has two baseball teams, obviously, and Wrigley Field is a classic ballpark. You know, when we think about Old Comiskey and Wrigley, which was four years, you know, it was built four years after Old Comiskey opened, you know, do you think there was uh, people forget about Old Comiskey just because there's always so much focus on Wrigley Field and, and the surrounding neighborhood? I think so. If you, even back in the day, like in the 80s, People always talked about Wrigley Field and the friendly confines and the bleachers and the Ivy. And that was the, the darling of Chicago. People would come in from other cities and you got to go to Wrigley Field. Wrigley's the best. Sit in the bleachers. And, um, you know, Comiskey Park was more of a ballpark. That's a place you go for serious baseball. And it's a wild kind of crazy time. Same architect who did Wrigley did Comiskey Park and also designed churches in the area of Chicago too. So he, he really always tried to make it like a church, like kind of like a place of worship. Um, but I, I think if they would have, if they would have renovated and maintained Comiskey Park, it would be like a Fenway or a Wrigley. You know, you would have people mm -hmm. come and doing tours in the winter just to check it out because of all the history that was there and just the uniqueness of that place. Did you feel in any of your interviews, there was any resentment from fans or players for the love that Wrigley got? Some people actually like straight up said, I'm jealous of the Cubs because they still got their park. They can go back to Wrigley Field and say, hey, that's where Ernie Banks played. And that's where all these greats, you know, played. And the nice thing about Sox Park, though, is that it's right across the street. You know, you're still on the same area. You're still at 35th and Shields. You're still in Bridgeport. You're on the south side. I'm glad they didn't move, you know, to Arlington Heights like the Bears yeah. might because it's, you know, it's it should be south side of Chicago. That's where the team should be. As you're starting to gather this footage, take these interviews in, what are other people saying about how they felt about the ballpark? A big part of this was talking to fans of the team. And it's interesting just how much the park was like a second home to a lot of people. 
And it was such a festive environment. It was before the ballpark experience. It's a little more corporate now. You know, uh, one of the fans I talked to who was a beer vendor in 1983, David Ruggendorf, he, uh, he's been a great champion for this project. And one of the things he said really resonated with me is that like there's there were no rules, you know, like you, you went to a White Sox game. And I mean, sure, like you couldn't do something too crazy. But for the most part, it was just a place that you went and you kind of let loose uh, and you were yeah, with folks friends, were energetic, family, music was playing, let's be real, folks was fighting. The food was cheap, the beer was cheap, the tickets were cheap. It was accessible and affordable for people. Yeah, none of us want to be involved in a fight in the stands. But the fact of the matter was, this is where people like let, people got to let loose. Yeah, go there on a Friday night. Yeah, I, I remember going with my brother, I have three brothers and my dad used to just drop the four of us off at the game and, uh, you know, just give us each five bucks and, uh, <laughs> which was like a fortune back then. Uh, we could each get like a hot dog and a Coke and then split the rest for like nachos and stuff. But I remember like going to those games and people were just like, just going crazy. And I remember a guy fell on my brother, uh, when he was like 10 years old and asked my brother to like buy him a beer. So I was just like, man, White Sox fans, they get after it, you know. I like I uh-huh. like this place. So a lot of people had those kind of memories of just you know just that place being like a home. Nancy Faust, you know, how often do you see an organist that's like yeah. in the crowd? Like she's not in a booth, mm-hmm. she's in the crowd for people to just walk right up to and suggest. I mean, so song. legendary. Yeah. She created na 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 hey goodbye. Comiskey Park was like this, just this, uh, this kind of festive carnival atmosphere where you had so many different, you know, characters that maybe weren't players, but, but that were important to the, really important to the experience. And right at the top of the list, it's definitely is Nancy Faust. She started playing for the Sox in 1970. She invented like the concept of walk-up music. She's the first person to do that. Uh, Dick Allen came to the team in 1972 and just had a huge year. He was an absolute superstar like the White Sox had really never had. And she would play Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ Superstar when uh, he came up to the plate. And that just like that was just so bombastic and people caught on to it so much. And then she did the na na hey hey, like you just sang, made that famous and kept doing those walk up songs for different players. And so like that was fun because there was it wasn't canned at all. You know, you didn't know what Nancy was going to play. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patients' smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way. 
So stay tuned for their Old Town location. Can you talk about what was special about this roster? I mean, it's a mix of talent. You got young guys. Maybe some people don't even remember. Sammy Sosa played on this team, right? At one point, they call up Frank Thomas. You got locker room leaders like Ozzie Guillen, who will go on to be the coach of the White Sox and vets like Carlton Fisk. What was it like watching that group of players? That, yeah, that's what made it so exciting. Going into that year, they were supposed to finish last. Everybody picked them last. And you knew you had these young up-and-comers. You knew you had like Jack McDowell coming into his own. Robin Ventura came up that year. And then you got Frank Thomas coming up in August and Alex Fernandez also coming up in August. But before like Thomas and, and some of those guys emerged, you had Ozzy, Scotty Fletcher, Lance Johnson, a young Sammy Sosa who was super exciting to watch. Just the speed, hitting triples, stealing bases. You know, that team, you, everybody loves a good underdog. And, everybody, and a good underdog story can't be a good underdog story unless you got like a great villain. And the Oakland days were like the, <laughs> they were like the Darth Vader of baseball at the time. They were so good. The A's uh, trying to survive after that series against the Chicago White Sox in Oakland. The uh, White Sox have since taken over first place, and that's unusual for the Oakland Athletics. 75 days they spent in first place. Why did people fear the A's at the time? Because you all really focus on that throughout the documentary, that this this was the team to chase. Yeah. Think about that. A's team had the greatest leadoff hitter of all time. There probably will never be anyone as good as Ricky Henderson. So you got him and you got Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire, who are just, you know, they're the Bash brothers, huge hit at home runs left and right. You know, later it came out that they might have been doing some things that were illegal, which Ozzy talks mm-hmm. about a little bit. So, you know, not only are these these big, intimidating team that is coming off a World Series win, but they're also a team that's not afraid to say, hey, little guys, little White Sox, you guys, you can't compete with us. And so that kind of stuff, just that antagonizing made it more fun that summer. Of course, we didn't catch them, but it made for a really fun summer. Hey, and I mean, even after we were done, we got to watch them get swept. Yeah, oh, that's to right. the Reds. And so, you know, that's it, right. it ended okay. As you were putting all this footage together, getting all these interviews over the, you know, the few years you've been working on it, what was the most surprising thing that you learned? Man, there was just there was quite a bit, you know, that that sort of took me um that took me by surprise. One of the things that that surprised me was how much those players for the most part appreciated Comiskey Park. Like the nostalgia that they have for for playing there and how much they appreciated the fact that they had the chance to play there. Uh, I was surprised at the level of nostalgia and appreciation that the players had for sure. And, but you know, on the flip side, there were some players like Lance Johnson was pretty outright and saying that place was a dump. You know, I, I, was, <laughs> I was glad to move to the new park. You know, that was a, that playing there, the fans, they were rough, you know, they were rough on you. So, uh-huh. um, so that was, that was kind of a, that was kind of interesting too, to, to hear that. But one of the through lines through there uh, that I really appreciated was everybody on that team said, you know, like we really were a family. We were, you know, we, we hung out together. We, you know, we played cards together. We, we golfed together. This documentary really became a pandemic passion project for you. But I want to know why put this out for free on YouTube, you all put a lot of work into this. So many different interviews, the scoring, you know, why ultimately just sort of uh, give it to individuals? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, starting this out, starting this project out, no resume at all. Me and my brother, Mike, never done this before. And so everything, you know, our approach with everything was to tell people, hey, this is a nonprofit thing, it, just to kind of try and get a better chance to talk to some people, make it really clear that we're not trying to make money here. We're trying to get these great stories out about this old ballpark and this team. And one of my favorite things about this project is, the fact that so much of it is collaboration with fans who sent us their home video from going to the park in 90 and in the 80s, who sent us their photos that they took. Uh, we just got a ton of stuff from fans who just wanted to be a part of it. The response is much more than we ever expected, and it's just been awesome. Is this a documentary just for Chicago baseball fans, or is there something beyond nostalgia that anyone could take from learning about Comiskey? I think uh, my hope is that anybody who enjoys baseball will enjoy this. And if they, if they give it a chance, I think there's the, uh, there's the, the history of an old ballpark that is kind of forgotten, but as a classic iconic ballpark, I think that's interesting for, for baseball fans. And then I think as new ballparks are designed, I think they should look at a ballpark like Comiskey, take out the four levels of skybox suites and bring that upper deck down low and closer mm -hmm. to the field. Because, you know, you asked me about going to the game as a kid. When I was a kid, like, I felt like I was just, just a step away from walking out on that field. As you get ready for another White Sox season, I, I got to ask, what are some things you enjoy about guaranteed rate? Uh, so I have a daughter. She's 12 years old. And going to a game at guaranteed rate, you got the fundamentals up there. They can they can do a lot of fun stuff. Like you can race a cardboard cutout of Tim Anderson. You can take round balls. You can take batting practice. Like that stuff's amazing. If I was a kid and they had that when I went to games, I would have been up there, you know, for a lot of the game for sure. I think that's awesome. Uh, and I think there's a lot of great seats at guaranteed rate. I still sit in the upper deck. I love upper decks. I wish it was closer down, but I, one cool thing about guaranteed rate, if you're in the upper deck, like that's like a bird's eye view. You can see everything. And I like to see like what kind of jump players get on the ball. And so that's kind of neat. Um, I miss the old park. I wish they built stadiums like old Comiskey, but I certainly am just a baseball fan and, and there's definitely aspects of the park I enjoy. Matt, this conversation has been fantastic. I enjoyed the three-part documentary series, Last Comiskey. We'll drop a link for our listeners in the show notes. Uh, thank you for joining us on CityCast today. Thanks so much, Jacoby. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. $21 million. Yes, that's how much unions, special interest groups, business owners, candidates, and others have contributed to city council races this election cycle. Now, who are the biggest donors in your ward, you ask? You can check out Block Club Chicago's database in the show notes or read about it in today's Hey Chicago at chicago.citycast.fm. Walgreens plans to start selling naloxone over the counter later this year after the FDA approved the non-prescription nasal spray for reversing opioid overdoses. And some good news to get you through. Tomorrow night, you can catch me at Bar for Bar, a celebration of lyricism and poetry at Reggie's in the South Loop. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be some great performers in the building and the show starts at eight o'clock. As always, we appreciate you for listening. We'll be back tomorrow breaking down some key stories from the week with Jim Daly and Mariah Wolfel. Hopefully you'll join us. Peace. I don't want to do it again, so I'm going to stop.